The following is an encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner. This program originally aired on July 23, 2017, on the 16th Sunday of Ordinary Time. If you have a question for Archbishop Blair, you can submit that question by email to archbishop at wjmj.org. Archbishop Blair welcomes your question. Once again, that email address is archbishop at wjmj.org. Now we hope you enjoy this encore presentation of the Archbishop's Quarter. Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. You'll never have a problem-free life, ever. You'll never drift off to sleep on the wings of this thought, oh my, today came and went with no problems in the world. This headline will never appear in the paper. We have only good news to report today. You might be elected as president of Russia. You might discover a way to email pizza and become a billionaire. You might be called out of the stands to pinch hit when your team is down to its final out of the World Series, hit a home run, and have your face appear on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It's not likely, but it's possible. But a problem-free, no-hassle, blue-sky existence of smooth sailing? Uh-uh, don't hold your breath. Problems happen. They happen to rich people, sexy people, educated people, sophisticated people. They happen to retired people, single people, spiritual people, and secular people. But not all people see problems the same way. Some people are overcome by problems. Others overcome problems. Some people are left bitter. Others are left better. Some people face their challenges with fear. Others with faith. You don't have a choice about having problems, but you do have a choice about what you do with them. Choose faith. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Blair offers advice that will help us choose faith to answer to the challenge of any problem. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, where your invaluable advice encourages faith in answer to life's overwhelming problems. Anything occupying your time since last we met that you'd like to share with us? No, not in particular. Summer is slower for all of us uh, in this part of the world. Well, this is good. We all need to take a little bit of time and relax and maybe time for a vacation during the summer. Archbishop, uh, Monday is, believe it or not, tell an old joke day. It's a day to put aside your reticence and tell that old joke that everyone's heard thousands of times. There may be a lot of groaning, but there's no joke so old that at least one person hasn't heard it yet. So we might start off with a, on a light note. Here's a favorite old joke of mine that I'll share with you. A mushroom at the prom walks up to a girl and asks her to dance. Well, I'm not dancing with you, she replies. Oh, come on, the mushroom says. Why not? I'm a fungi. Get it? Uh, there was silence in heaven for a half hour. <laughs> okay. How do you get a laugh out of an archbishop? It's not well, easy. No, it's it, 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 it. there's a certain levity to what you said. Yes, I, I agree. <laughs> okay. Let's well, you know, I have to tell jokes, uh, Irish jokes, every year at the St. Patrick's Day breakfast with all these people. All right, tell me a joke then. Well, I don't have, no, I'm not going to squander my Irish oh. jokes because I say them only for that day, but... How about a Polish uh, joke? Well, those too, but the, but the question is, sometimes you're tempted to repeat a joke. The reality is that some of the old standbys, people have heard them before, but they still laugh, as long as you tell it well. 
they will still laugh. So That's it's not like uh, a joke that is, retains its value even over time. Okay. On Thursday, if you notice someone in the neighborhood walking around carrying their house plants, know that you're not crazy. They are. Thursday is National Walk Your House Plant Day. No, I, I didn't make that up, Archbishop. You really want to use this on the radio? Uh, I didn't, you want to I tell didn't, this to our people? I didn't, I didn't make that up. The oh. idea is that by walking your house plant around your neighborhood, the plant will become acclimated with the local environment and the community and will thrive. You enjoy gardening, don't you? Oh, yeah, the, to the extent I'm able, yes. Do you have any but favorite? It never occurred to me to walk a plant around the block. No, well, you know, I, I don't know who comes up with these things, but somebody's got a lot of free time on their hands that they don't know what to do with. In any case, a little bit more serious, Wednesday and Saturday of this week, Wednesday is the feast day of Saints Joachim and Anne, parents of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and Saturday is the feast of St. Martha, of Martha and Mary fame, sister of Lazarus. Now, Martha's the one who busied herself with all the household preparations for Jesus, their dinner guest, while Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Martha then came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And the Lord said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Mary has chosen the better part. Tell me, Archbishop, if you were invited to a parishioner's home for dinner and one sister is listening to you tell your stories while the my other— jokes. Yeah, your jokes. While the other sister is in the kitchen doing all the work, wouldn't you tell the sister listening to you to help out in the kitchen? No, I certainly would not. <laughs> I mean, that's not my business. I assume that they have worked out a plan between them. But knowing you, I think you'd probably go help out in the kitchen yourself. You're a good cook. Well, I don't know on what basis you say that. Uh, I, I would certainly well, go greet, greet somebody in the kitchen and spend some time there. I don't know that I would try to stick my nose into, into what they're doing. Let's put it this way. You may not be a great cook, but you appreciate good cooking. Well, certainly. Who doesn't? <laughs> before we get into some of the questions that our listeners have submitted, and before we get to our gospel, this is in the news, and, and uh, I think it bears a bit of a discussion. A British court, now a European court, to which there is no appeal, have ruled against the parents of a little baby with a very destructive illness. And the baby's name is Charlie Gard, and because the British health care system decided not to foot the expense for treatment, the parents were able to raise millions of dollars for his care. Donations from concerned people from around the world came in. They received an invitation for the child to be treated at the Pope's Hospital for Children, Bambino Gesù Hospital at the Vatican. And the American government offered medical help as well. But the courts have ruled that the baby must die without this assistance, and even they've forbidden the parents from taking him home. Archbishop, can you address the ethical issues here? Well, there are a lot of issues. Uh, you know, one is that <clears throat> we are not obliged to seek medical treatments that are hopeless, you know, when there's no reasonable hope for recovery. But on the other hand, the, the other issue here is, first of all, I don't know enough about the, the baby situation to say that that is or isn't true. But even prescinding from that, the, I think the, the larger question is forbidding parents to do this for their child if they wish. That is, I think, somewhat disturbing, you know, mm. that, that the government can wrest control of, of, of a child from its parents, not because to protect the child, but because they just don't feel that the, the parents, what they want for their child is warranted. Uh, that, that is troubling. Um, and I don't know how this, I mean, we're pre-recording this program. I don't know how this will have ended or not. But the very fact that the Vatican and the United States have offered to provide help suggest to me they wouldn't have done that, particularly the Holy See, if they thought that this was utterly hopeless or out of, out of 
bounds, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's the world in which we live, uh, in which, uh, you know, people's uh, freedoms are, they're, they're very big bureaucratic, bureaucratic and legal obstacles sometimes uh, to people's uh, legitimate freedom. And even the sanctity, the priority, the value of life has been in so many instances called into question. Uh, for instance, uh, there's another issue that's that's come up recently. For many years, doctors in the Netherlands have been legally allowed to prescribe poison to people who ask for assistance in killing themselves. Now there's evidence that doctors are killing people who don't want to die or at least haven't asked for assistance from doctors. A report on the last year for which statistics are available shows that in 2015, there were 431 cases in which the patient's life was ended without an explicit request for assisted suicide. And in, that, in, the in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, yeah. yes. And that number was up from 310 deaths five years earlier. So in, in one case where the family asked the doctor's assistance, a sedative was placed into a woman's coffee, and when she became drowsy, the doctor and the members of the family held her down while he gave her a fatal injection. This was uncovered in a probe of the incident where the doctor was determined to have acted in the words of the government's finding, quote, in good faith in euthanizing this woman with dementia. Archbishop, how is this not murder? Well, that's a very good question. I think people are extremely naive in thinking that this so-called uh, uh, assisted suicide is uh, uh, something that is just going to be applied where the person uh, freely chooses this and, and it's their, their determination and they're in horrible suffering and they can't endure all those kind of things. That's not justified in itself, but the, when, when you do start to allow for that, it becomes, uh, I mean, it really is a spiral of death. And what you've described, I know there are many reports of such things and many statistics that could be pr shown uh, to prove that this really is a very slippery slope. But, you know, the church speaks out very forcefully against this as being uh, uh, immoral and utterly being um, contrary to the good of the human person and, 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 and subject to all kinds of abuses. I hope that we will continue to be successful in Connecticut in resisting this call for assisted suicide. You're right. Well, we've got many questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, but let's look at our gospel first before we get to those questions. And on this 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time, our gospel today is taken from the 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. So here's the gospel account as it is dramatically presented, and then we'll find out from Archbishop Blair what he believes is essentially pertinent to our lives that we take away from this gospel. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the householder came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then has it weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs 
and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner. This program originally aired on July 23, 2017, on the 16th Sunday of Ordinary Time. If you have a question for Archbishop Blair, you can actually voice your question by calling the Archbishop's Hotline at 203-805-5047. Archbishop Blair welcomes your question. Please call 203-805-5047 to voice record your question. Please continue to enjoy this encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner. What are your thoughts, Archbishop, as we hear that it's all about the kingdom of heaven? That's right. And uh, from the natural processes of, of life and growth and death and harvest, we learn about the kingdom of God from Jesus. This is much in continuity with what we heard last Sunday uh, in Matthew. And the whole question of parables, that, that Jesus uses these timeless uh, parables uh, to communicate timeless truths. You know, just think of the, the genius of God in this, that uh, a document, uh, the Gospels that are now uh, 2,000 years old, uh, setting down the words of Christ that are equally old. But for all times and all cultures until the end of the world, uh, the, the, these truths are communicated through these simple but powerful uh, parables. Uh, you know, about seed and sowing, about uh, life and growth, about death and harvest. We, I, the best thing I can say about this is we should sit down on Sunday and read this and think about our own life. There's mm. nothing more simple, more profound, and more uh, life, hopefully life-changing and guiding to us than simply to read this gospel and apply it to our own life. So the weeds and the wheat are allowed to grow together. I, I can't help but think, Archbishop, that in the real world, this is kind of dangerous because the weeds usually take over and choke off the wheat. For instance, evil has such a strong negative influence on the good. What's your suggestion as to how not to be seduced by evil and those with evil intent? Well, uh, first of all, we have to pray uh, for, uh, you know, what did Jesus teach us in the Our Father? Deliver us from evil. We have to pray. You know, we've been sealed with Christ in baptism and in the sacraments. Uh, we have a remedy for even the sins we commit in the sacrament of penance. And we have to rely on those. Uh, we have to have recourse to those things. We have to practice them, live them, our prayer. If you start to relinquish, if you start to, to, to put off the things that are the remedies that are given to you for evil and sin, you can fall victim to them more, more easily. And some people actually flirt with them. They toy with them. They, they wind up uh, giving themselves over to evil. And mm -hmm. that creates uh, even a, a, a more dire problem for them. But I think we have to rely on the protection of our, our, our baptism and, of our, and uh, the sacraments of prayer, of the intercession of Our Lady and the saints, and above all, of course, to Christ himself. If we never turn to those helps that we have and protections, then we become very vulnerable. You know, if you look at the state of affairs in our world today, severely decreased attendance at Mass, churches closing or being merged, American atheists committed to litigation for the absolute separation of religion and government, it appears that the weeds are indeed choking life from believers. So what's a person to do? I mean, you mentioned prayer, you mentioned the sacraments, staying close. But isn't it also a realization and not to ignore the fact that evil exists? To ignore evil or to pretend that it doesn't exist means to give evil a chokehold on us or our family members or our world? 
Well, that that kind of threat has always existed, even when you know religion was riding high in a society. Because ultimately, it's not about the society as such; it's about the choice that every person makes, and the uh, the faith of the person. So, there could be people who go through the motions of religion, uh, but whose hearts are far from Christ, and who can even give themselves over to evil. Today, the danger is that uh, people will be somehow removed from the remedies, you know, by not, mm. because they become indifferent to religion. You know, when you become indifferent to, these are not just pious little uh, helps to life and little consolations. There's a, you know, St. Paul says, and the scriptures say, there's a powerful spiritual warfare going on in the world. And uh, <laughs> if you lay down all your weapons and put your uh, protective armor aside and, and don't use it, uh, yes, you are more prone to the slings and arrows, as they say, of, of evil. Yeah, it, it takes more of an effort today, more conscious effort to, uh, to arm yourself and protect yourself spiritually. But then Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, but when full grown is the largest of plants. It appears then, Archbishop, that Jesus is telling us not to give up on hope. The weeds will not choke off the wheat. Have hope. Well, the, the weeds will not choke, choke off all the wheat. Uh, some will be choked off. He uses that image uh, as well. You know, yeah. we, we heard the parable about the seed that gets plucked up and it's trampled and all. But the weed that, uh, but the wheat that, um, there, there, there will be a harvest of wheat of the righteous, of the just. And uh, if we are faithful and we, we strive to grow in, in goodness rather than evil and indifference to God, uh, then we will produce a harvest. And, and that evil will not triumph in the end. That that, you know, God's kingdom will, will prevail. Let's take a look at some of our questions from our listeners. Charlotte from North Branford, for instance, writes in, My firstborn child is going away to college in a few weeks. Besides the normal college worries all parents have, I am nervous that she will lose her religious practices. I read so much about how most college campuses are liberal, which makes me scared that she will be ridiculed for attending Mass, praying, etc. I know her father and I have instilled in her strong Catholic values, but I need to know how we can encourage her to keep living out her faith while away from home. Do you have any suggestions to ease my worries or special prayers I can say? Well, Charlotte, certainly in today's world, I can understand your great anxiety as a person of faith about the future for your daughter, but it sounds to me like you have really given her a solid foundation. And uh, I think it would be important. Now, we have, you know, as, as young people go off to college, they want a certain independence. I suppose you can't hover over them too much uh, where they might kind of react. Uh, but on the other hand, I would hope that where she's going, there would be resources readily available uh, of Catholic ministry uh, at the place. And, uh, you know, there are many groups. We, we talked about uh, uh, the Orlando Conver Convocation in our last program uh, about uh, all the things that we need to do to uh, revitalize the church in the United States. And there's some excellent things going on in campuses, uh, secular campuses, not Catholic ones. For example, this group called Focus. Mm. They're active at UConn now and uh, in many other places. And they, they do absolutely wonderful work with our young people in the faith. Uh, and then, of course, we have the campus ministries that are offered at various colleges and universities. And we're really looking at taking a hard look at that right now and trying to bu build it up and strengthen it going forward in the future. At the uh, University of Hartford, invested in, in a, a house on campus prominently right across from the entrance for Catholic campus ministry. Uh, and, and in the reassignment of our priests for uh, the pastor planning, we made accommodation for priests to be uh, also attached to university and college campuses 
priests who have who, who are well qualified to do that kind of, of work. You know, I, I, so, so those are the kind of things that, that we're trying to, to help parents by, by the things I've described. And parents can maybe uh, look a little bit into what's available for their young people and maybe, maybe make a suggestion or point them in the right direction. Uh, but it sounds to me like you've already pointed your, your daughter in the right direction, and, and certainly keeping her in your prayers will be extremely important. Archbishop, we've got a question from Carol. She says, Dear Archbishop Blair, I am a, a quite elderly lady. 80 this December, and looking for a Catholic church where the priest hears confession in the confessional box, which allows privacy. I have never gotten used to the, quote, new way, not better in my opinion, she says. I live in Summers, Connecticut, and am anxious to go to confession. I also live close to southwestern Massachusetts. I don't think that's old-fashioned at all. Uh, personally, I prefer to go to confession behind a screen. Face-to-face is an option, but you have to remember, too, that the priest, and uh, you know, especially in these troubled times, the priest has a right to demand uh, a screen. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, if, you, if the priest wants to have a screen because he wants it, that, that is his right. I, there are any number of churches that have, have um, uh, a confessional uh, uh, full screen, but, but something that will— The will confessional keep, box? Keep the, yeah, they don't necessarily have a confessional box, but there's something that will keep the anonymity of the, of the, of the person going to confession. I would hope that you would be able to find that pretty easily. But, but as I say, there's nothing to be apologized for that. That's a perfectly legitimate, acceptable, uh, and good thing. And it may be a good thing to do if Carol is wondering where she could uh, go to confession behind a screen. She could call the parish and ask if they have that available. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what your experience is because I don't n- normally go to you know p- just any parishes for confession, but I would hope that our, our parishes would offer both. Most, most, yeah, most uh, have the, that opportunity. So the, the, the design of the confessional offers either behind a screen or face-to-face. Depending now, if on you're really talking about the, the older form where it was a separate room, you know, with the three doors, uh, that probably would not be as frequent as it used to be, but there are places that have it, definitely. And tell Carol she's not that old. The Pope is 80, and he's, he's look at all he's doing. How true that is. Archbishop, let's take a question that was phoned in. This is from Pasquale from North Haven. Thank you for taking my call. Every day I hear the program on, on my radio. I'm regarded on St. Teresa's Church in North Haven. I've been a parishioner there for 45 years, a great community, growing unbelievable, because if you can see uh, Archbishop Blair, when you were there, the new houses are being built and young families are coming in. These, they say St. Barnabas, it's on Washington Avenue, there's a tremendous amount of traffic there and everything like that. I wouldn't take the chance of even going there. And St. Caprini, I says it's an older church, I mean, it's an older parish, and it's all older people. There's no room for young people to come in to grow and everything like that. St. Teresa's, uh, I gave $1,500, hard-earned money going back about 25 years ago for the nursery, which uh, is there, and they have the carnival over there every year. It's just a, a great community church. It's got a plenty of parking, a great hall downstairs, plus a nursery school there over there. It's, it's growing. If you take a look at Archbishop, you will see that there's so many new houses being built around there. Young families coming in, so I would really want to see St. Teresa be there, because I live, and thank you for taking my call, and I, I listen to the Every day I listen to the, uh, your, 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 uh, I'm 80 years old, so it's getting a little tough to even talk. But as I say, I listen to it every day. And just, all right, thank you for taking my call. And, and I hope St. Teresa stays because that is the parish for all of us. Thank you very much, Archbishop. Well, I, I do appreciate very much your input about uh, your area and the parishes and about St. Teresa in particular. Uh, as, as you know, uh, the final pastoral plan has created 
from St. Barnabas, St. Therese, and St. Francis Cabrini in North Haven, uh, one new parish called St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, with a, a new pastor and two uh, associate priests. But right now, it's my understanding that as the parish gets settled, that all three churches are being used for masses, and uh, it's yet to be determined locally by the parish what uses they'll be making of uh, all three buildings for a mass schedule. Uh, so that's something that uh, is still in the works, and I would just say it's important for you to, to locally to be active in, in your parish and to be part of this discussion. All right, Archbishop, let's move on to another question, and this one is from Lorraine from Avon. Lorraine says, I am 68 years old and went exclusively to Catholic schools. In addition to learning the Ten Commandments, we also memorized the six precepts of the Catholic Church. I still can recite them by heart. The first one was to assist at Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. Looking at the age group of most of the people at Mass, I wonder if many of them are are there because they also know this precept and take it to heart. Of course, the gift of receiving the Eucharist is the main reason to be there, but I wonder why I never hear these precepts mentioned. Do younger people even know that they exist? What are your thoughts about this, Archbishop? I, too, in my youth, uh, learned the precepts of the Church. And while I certainly respect what you're saying, I think the question is far deeper than just knowing the precepts of the Church. Uh, because the reality is that the precepts of the church were principally learned by living them in the family, in the community, in the neighborhood. And today, to the extent that people are not actually practicing them, living those precepts, they fall away from them. Uh, I think most Catholics would understand that the expectation that you go to Mass every Sunday is part of the Catholic faith. So they do know that. But, uh, you know, today people have just decided that... uh, it's not necessarily for them, or it's not essential to their spiritual or eternal well-being. Uh, and that's the great uh, challenge that we have. And again, it goes back to all that we've been talking about uh, last week about the Orlando Convocation, about the pastoral restructuring of the Archdiocese, about the need that to make it not just an end but a beginning uh, of welcome to, to, to really invite people and accompany. That's a, that's a great word that Pope Francis likes to use, that we accompany other people in their faith. That is to say, in their journey of life, we, we try to be at their side and bring them to practice the faith by our own good example, our prayers, and by, uh, by an invitation. Th- there is this absolute need to accompany people uh, in their, the journey of life in their faith, to invite them, to encourage them, to pray for them. A- and th- that's really what we have to try to uh, communicate to our Catholic people, beginning with myself. You know, there's so many people, we, we hear stories that Let's say they were married to a Catholic spouse, but they themselves were not Catholic, and they were totally in, invested in the parish, totally engaged, but they didn't become Catholic. And finally, somebody would say to them, well, why haven't you become Catholic? And, and they, you know what they say? They look up and sheepishly say, no one's ever invited me to. No one's ever asked me. We hear that about vocations. Uh, yeah. Young people about priesthood or religious life. Well, haven't you ever, why, why didn't you, you have all the qualifications to be a priest. Why wouldn't you ever have thought of going to the seminary? No one ever asked me. You know, no one ever said, you'd make a good priest. Why don't you think of doing this? I mean, it, it's not rocket science. It's that simple. So, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, carrying on here a bit in answer to the simple question. But the precepts of the church, they can't just be, people are not going to obey them nowadays just because they're a rule. People don't believe in rules anymore. Uh, except the ones that they think are important for themselves or uh, that other people have to follow. Yeah. But the invitation, the accompaniment, accompanying somebody in faith and inviting them, that's the thing that's going to make a difference. And when you do that accompanying and being with people, and you, you engage in the life of the church, too. So you're actually living the life of the church. Absolutely. 
One last question, Archbishop. Joan from Terryville says, what is your opinion on the recent religious liberty ruling from the Supreme Court stating that a state cannot refuse a religious organization from being eligible from a public benefit like grant money for which it is otherwise qualified? Have we ran into these issues in Connecticut? And if so, how will this ruling assist our schools and daycares with obtaining grant funding for capital improvements? Well, it certainly has the potential for helping us. Uh, Really, what this was about is what's called the uh, notorious Blaine Amendment. And that is an amendment uh, that was crafted or promoted by, I believe he was a senator named Blaine in the 19th century that was directly targeted against Catholics. Uh, that made an airtight kind of amendment to state constitutions that absolutely excluded any possibility of any help whatsoever to a religious school. And the Blaine Amendment was adopted in many places. It was part of the Constitution of the state of Michigan, where I'm from. Uh, it's not, to, as I recall, it's not part of, the, uh, of Connecticut's uh, Constitution. But even if it's not, that doesn't mean that there are many obstacles uh, or resistance to trying to get some kind of uh, uh, aid or help uh, for, for educational purposes. But the Supreme Court uh, decision is very significant because uh, I believe the exclusion was based on the Blaine Amendment. And by saying that this is unconstitutional, it calls into question all of these Blaine Amendments. Uh, and, uh, but, but again, the wheels of justice are so slow and ponderous, it will, remains to be seen how exactly this will play out in any effective kind of way in the future. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you conclude our program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, we ask your blessing on each one of us, on our country and our world. We pray for greater peace and justice and remember in a very special way all those who are suffering terribly because of their faith, being persecuted or even killed. We pray for all the people who are displaced by war and violence. And we ask that that we too, in some way, by our generosity and our interest, may be made instruments of your peace for these people and for the world. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for your invitation into the Archbishop's Corner. We enjoy spending time with you and look forward to more of it next week. Thank you.